just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back with Rational Boomer Podcast in the safe house. (laughs) Sometimes I think I should rename the show the Rational Boomer Podcast Safe House. Now, you're probably wondering, why would you call it that? Well, it is kind of a safe house for me for two reasons. First of all, I spent about 40 years in radio. I became very accustomed of sitting in a room by myself in front of a microphone talking to a bunch of people I cannot see. That's hard for a lot of people, but when you've done it as long as I have, it becomes second nature. You have to picture those people listening to you, kind of understand who those listeners are so you can uh, speak to them, get some kind of reaction out of them. And so when I sit here doing the Rational Boomer podcast, it's far more comfortable for me to do this than it is to do a TikTok, an Instagram uh, clapper or even Facebook for that matter. It's not so much that I bother, I, I mind being in front of the camera. It really doesn't bother me. Not because I think I'm especially photogenic because I know I'm not, but because I don't give a shit. I'm a 61-year-old man. I'm not going to look like a 25-year-old model. So fuck it. Who cares? I don't care. I'm trying to deliver a message, and that's important to me. And if you have to look at my face to get the message, so be it. But with the Rational Boomer podcast, I don't have to worry about that. That was one of the greatest things about being in radio. Now, I haven't drank liquor for 30 years. And I tell people, (laughs) they'll, they'll ask me, why did you quit? Well, I quit when I was about 30 years old. I had a young son, I had a wife, I had a house, I had a lot of responsibilities. And where I grew up in South Minneapolis, we all started drinking early, going to parties at 14, 15, drinking beer. And between 14 and 28, I did my share of drinking. I got pretty crazy. I was just goofier than I normally am. So it went went, went all right. But here's the thing. When you get to be close to 30 years old, getting drunk and stupid and passing out and doing stupid things just isn't cute anymore. And when you have responsibilities, you really got to focus on that. I know my wife frowned on it a lot, and that had a lot of bearing as to why I quit. But what I tell folks when they ask me, why did you quit drinking? And I said, well, because I had this thing come over me when I drank. (laughs) I thought I was the toughest guy in the world and the sexiest guy in the world. And neither one of those was true, but I fooled myself when I was drinking, and it didn't do the best for me. So I decided to quit. I didn't have to go through any system or anything like that. I don't know that I was at the level of an alcoholic. I didn't drink every day. I uh, drank a lot when I partied. I mean, when we were young, we drank for one reason, to get drunk. And that's a horrible reason to drink. And I told, you know, I told my sons this when they were at that point, when they were young, when they were drinking, I said, you have to understand something here. When you're drinking and you're young, you're going to come to a point in your life where you're going to have to make a decision. You can drink crazy and do all kinds of stuff if you want, but you may have to 
quit totally because you can't be trusted to drink. Or you can learn how to be measured in what you drink and just drink responsibly. And then you can do it for the rest of your life. Or you can choose to do what you're doing right now, fuck up your life and fuck up the lives of everybody around you. So what do you want to do? My sons are smart guys. They weren't as bad as I was when I was young, so that's helpful. And uh, they decided to go the route of drinking responsibly and being able to do it for the rest of their life. When I came to that decision, there was just too much going on. And I said, fuck it, I'm just going to quit. And fortunately, it wasn't that big a deal. It was a little rough for a month or so, but I didn't drink all that often. I just drank a lot when I drank. So when I quit, I just stopped. And it was hard when I went to bars and parties and all that stuff. But after a time, it really wasn't a big deal. My wife will still have a drink on occasion. I'll go places where everybody else is drinking. Everybody knows I don't drink. Nobody cares, and I don't care. So it works out fine. My choice was to quit altogether. My choice was never to continue and fuck up myself and everybody around me. That just wouldn't be acceptable for me and what I'd hoped to be when I grew up. And I had to go through that with my sons, but, um, you know... (laughs) You do what you want. And I don't even know why I got into that story, to be perfectly honest with you. We were talking about the safe house, which is the Rational Boomer podcast. The other part of the safe house situation that I wanted to mention, one of the reasons I feel like this is a safe spot, because when you're on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or Clapper or whatever, you got to deal with a couple of things. You've got all these people that are the haters, the Trumplicants, the Trumplifucks, the idiots, the conspiracy theorists. And when you happen to speak out about something, and I do speak my mind and I'm pretty direct, they will show up on your posts. They'll make comments. Generally, they're stupid comments. And generally, they're people with zero or two followers and no content. So these are either trolls, bots, or just idiots. Now, I have no use for any of those people in what I'm doing here. They offer nothing to what I'm doing here. So my immediate reaction is to block them. I think I've told you that before. Mainly because I see them as a risk. I see what they're doing to other creators. They're banding together, attacking like a bunch of animals, and trying to take videos down and try to get people banned. That is contrary to what I want to do. That is not helpful to what I want to do. So the best thing I can do is just do away with them, and that's what I do. Now, so, And then the other part of being on the apps is this. You have this uh, algorithm or these deities that run these apps. You got to follow their rules. You got to do it their way. If something you do bugs them, they can shut you down or ban you or whatever. I really don't think it's the apps that do it, though. I think it's all a reaction for the Trumplicans that band together and try to force you off. There's no way that uh, TikTok or any of these other apps is actually listening to everything you do and, and deciding whether it's good or not. I think it's more people making the complaints. They take you down. You go back and say, no, I shouldn't be taken down. Then they look at it. And, of course, they put you back up if this was just bullshit. 
So I'm not sure who I'm even dealing with. But even the algorithm, that can change. I went through periods of time where I only got so many views and I was doing the exact same thing I'd always done. So it was a matter of something TikTok was doing to uh, limit who could see what I was doing which is their prerogative, it's their app and all that stuff. But the reason this is a safe house for me, I don't have to deal with those Trumplicans, those trolls, those conspiracy theorists. I don't have to deal with algorithms or these deities that run these apps. This is the one place I can come, do what I want to do, take as much time as I want to take, say what I want to say, and nobody can say anything about it. Now that said... You listeners can say things to me. You can send me emails. You can send me uh, voicemail messages or what have you. And I will listen to what you say because the only reason I'm doing this is for you. So if you tell me something, I may not do it. I may not change it, but I will listen. And very often people will say you're wrong about this. And I'll say, you know what? I am fucking wrong. I'll change it. I'm not so arrogant to think that I'm always right, that I can't be wrong. I know I can. I've been married 37 years. My wife has pointed it out for every year that I've been married that I've been wrong. So it's an easy thing for me to admit to. So anyway, this is my safe haven. This is, this is where I like to be. And uh, this is why I tell you to tell friends, neighbors, colleagues, and all that stuff to join me on the Rational Boomer podcast. Because you see, on TikTok and some of these other places, I don't have total control. If for some reason somebody steps in or does something crazy and cuts me off or shuts me down, there's not much I can do about it. Maybe fight it, but I don't really want to do that because I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just exercising my First Amendment right. In a lot of ways, I'm speaking for other people that can't say the things I'm saying. I think I'm one of the few people that actually can exercise their First Amendment right. A lot of people can't because they're afraid what their bosses are going to say or their clients or their schoolmates or their friends or their family. Or maybe they're just afraid to sit in front of a mic and talk. But they have the same sense, the same mindset I have. And I get this comment a lot. Thank you for saying that. I've always wanted to say it, but I didn't know how to or I couldn't. Well, I don't have a boss and I don't have too many fucks to give. So I'm happy to do this. And if I happen to fall in line with some of your thoughts and I can get it out there for you, I'm happy to do it. So anyway, let's talk about what's going on in the news. And there's some shit going on in the news. There's always shit going on in the news. Um, of course, we know that Joe Biden did the uh, evacuation of Afghanistan. He ended the war in Afghanistan after 20 years. We've been dealing with this bullshit for 20 years. Now, of course, the Republicans are ranting and raving and screaming and crying that Joe Biden screwed up. I mean, we've got Lauren Boebert and some other idiots in there saying, we got to impeach Joe Biden. Now, they wouldn't even know the word impeach had we not tried to impeach Donald Trump two times. They're just saying, well, they impeached him. We can impeach Joe Biden. But here's what Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and all these dumb fucks have to understand. Democrats have the majority in the House. 
Republican or Democrats have the uh, majority in the Senate. Well, it's an even split, but Kamala Kamala Harris uh, breaks the tie. There's no way you're going to impeach him in the House. And if you can't impeach him in the House, it's never going to go to the Senate for a court case. So all this bullshit you're spewing is for not because it's not going to happen. Not to mention the fact that uh, Joe Biden hasn't done anything that is worthy of being impeached. Nothing. Donald Trump has done many things. He's been impeached twice. Frankly, he could have been impeached 45 times for all the shit he did. So anyway, Joe Biden pulls these people out of Afghanistan after 20 years. All the Republicans are crying that he screwed up, that he did it wrong. But what they fail to remember is the deal that was cut was uh, negotiated by Donald Trump. Donald Trump bragged about negotiating it. He said it was a peace treaty. But now, after we see all that happened and all that was done, that it was an unconditional surrender. Your tough guy president, Donald Trump, surrendered to the Taliban, gave in to the Taliban, because all he worried about is the optics of it. He wanted to make it look like he cut a deal with the Taliban, and he's a horseshit negotiator, so he did whatever he had to do and did did what he always does. He goes in there, gets beaten badly, and then he comes out with his hands raised in the air. See, I won. Constantly gaslighting. But let's talk about Joe Biden with Afghanistan. But you have to understand what happened here. Joe Biden ended a war with Afghanistan. A war that extended on 20 years. This is the longest war that America has ever fought. And it's a war not unlike Vietnam. It was all for nothing. Because in the end, we couldn't win. Nobody else before us, Russia or anybody else, couldn't win. There was no way we were going to win. It is the way it is in Afghanistan. So we were in there for 20 years. And to be perfectly honest with you, we should have pulled out of there 15 years ago at the latest Or at least when we were in the Obama administration, and in 2011, they got uh, Osama bin Laden. That's part of the reason we were in Afghanistan, to get Osama bin Laden. Well, that happened in 2011. Why didn't we pull out then? Why didn't we pull out when Donald Trump was in office? Why did he wait until after Joe Biden took office? Well, frankly, the three previous presidents that we had didn't have the courage to pull these people out. Our people are dying there. We're spending trillions of dollars there. But they didn't have the courage, and you know why? Because they knew it was a quagmire. They knew it couldn't go any way but wrong. They knew it would stain their presidency, affect their legacy, or affect their next election. They weren't willing to take that risk. They were willing to let our fighting men and women die. They were willing to dump money into it, hand over fist, but they weren't willing to do the right thing by pulling our people out of Afghanistan. What did we gain there? We gained nothing. 
absolutely nothing. Like what we gained in Vietnam, we gained nothing. We fought an unwinnable war, and then we walk away with our tail tucked between our legs and uh, move on to the next thing. It's one thing if you do that for a year or two or even five years. But once you've done it for 20 years and spent that kind of money and gotten that many Americans killed, you got to be ashamed by that. It's really a shame that we were in Afghanistan that long. Now, the Republicans will continue to say, well, 13 service members were killed under Joe Biden's watch when we had that explosion outside the Kabul airport in Afghanistan. Yes, it did happen under Joe Biden's watch. And if you want to blame Joe Biden, okay. But let me ask you this. Who then do we blame for the 2,000 previous service members that were killed? Who do we blame for the thousands of service members being wounded or maimed or disabled for life? Who do we blame for that? We can't blame Joe Biden because he's only been there eight months. We got George W. Bush. We've got Barack Obama. And we've got Donald Trump. All three of those fucking clowns have been there a lot longer than Joe Biden. And they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. They should have. They could have. But they didn't. So Joe gets into office and he decides to pull these people out. Now, Joe's a smart guy. He's been around for a long time. He knew exactly what was going to happen. It was going to be a mess. It was not going to look good there or for him. He knew everything that the previous presidents knew. But the fact of the matter is he decided, regardless, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to pull our people out. Stop sending American money to Afghanistan hand over fist. And that's what he did. He knew he would take a hit. But he's got some integrity. He decided to do the right thing as opposed to just do what's best for him. And that's what presidents are supposed to do. They make hard decisions. And they make those decisions regardless of how it makes them look. They shouldn't be considering political ramifications. They should be making the best choice for this country. Joe Biden made the best choice for this country. I know that because more than 70% of this country wanted our people out of Afghanistan. And it's about time that our government does the will of the people. We watch the Republicans and sometimes the Democrats vote for things that nobody in America wants, but they think it's best for us. Oh, fuck that. That's, this is a democracy. You're supposed to serve us. You're supposed to represent us. You're supposed to plead our will, but you don't. Well, today, Joe Biden did, and he's going to take some heat for some of this stuff, but he doesn't care. Because in his heart, he knows he's done what's right. And now look it. Now consider this. The war's done. No more Americans are going to die over there. No more money is going to be sent over there. Hopefully that means more money for the people who deserve it. The people who paid the taxes. The people that keep this country running. We're going to take a look at uh, the money situation when we come back, and we're going to talk about uh, our buddies on the Republican side, these gutless pieces of shit. <laughs> so let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the amount of lives that were lost in Afghanistan in the 20 years is paramount. We're talking over 2,000 American service members lost to fight a war that was really not accomplishing much, a war that we shouldn't have been in. That doesn't make what those service members did any less brave. They are the brave and the proud and the best of us that are over fighting for their country. And I respect them immensely. And we should keep them in our hearts and minds and show proper respect for any member of the armed services. But let's talk about the money a minute. I mean, it's always about money when we're talking about Republicans. And that war for 20 years cost American taxpayers $2.2 trillion. That amounts to $300 million per day. That's right, $300 million per day. Now, we get these Republicans constantly telling us, oh, we can't afford universal health care. We can't afford child care. We can't afford to feed starving people. But how many people did you hear kick about us spending $300 million a day in Afghanistan for absolutely nothing? How many people complained about that? How many people said, oh, we can't afford that? Or how many people said, we can't afford giving rich people a tax break to the tune of $2 trillion? How many people said, oh, we got, what are we going to do? We can't afford that. Or how about sending an excessive uh, budget to the Defense Department, $740 billion? Uh, Yes, we have to protect our country. But we're about triple, as far as expenditures in our Defense Department, to anyone, including Russia, close to us. We're probably three times bigger than anyone close to us. So we don't need to put that money, that much money, in the Defense Department. But why do we? Well, there's a lot of uh, what, what, what they call the mis, uh, military-industrial complex. We have all these big companies making big money with contracts with the government. These people with the big contracts then stuff money into the pockets of our representatives. So we've got to perpetuate that grift through our Congress and through these companies. And all this money is going through all these hands, and people are making money hand over fist. It's not because we need that much to protect ourselves. We don't. But we send it anyway, and nobody complains about it. But everybody complains and says, we can't afford universal health care, child care, feeding people. No. Well, now that we've shut down this thing in Afghanistan that's costing us $300 billion a day, It would seem to me maybe we can afford to offer some reasonable health care, some child care. Maybe we can feed some of the people in this country that are starving. I mean, it's a matter of budgeting. 
for 20 years, you doled out $300 million a day. What are you going to do with it now? It's already been committed. You've already been spending spending it. If you put it in a better place, it shouldn't change anything in terms of the budget because you've been doing it for fucking 20 years. So what if in turn you take that money and give it back to the people who gave it to you in the fucking first place? The taxpayer, the middle class, the people that carry this country on their back financially. What if you give it back to them? You're already planning to spend it. You spent it for 20 years. Give it to us. Help us to get better health care. Help us to get child care. Help us to feed the people that are starving. That shouldn't happen in this country. There's no way it should happen in this country. So now the money's freed up. Maybe you should give it back to the people. Chances are they won't. They'll come up with some other excuse. No, we can't do that. We've got to give another tax break to the rich people. This is why we've got to get the Republicans out of the mix. Now, they're doing it pretty much to themselves. With all this bullshit that's going on, they're in trouble. I know a lot of people are concerned about the prospect of them winning back the House and the Senate in 2022. They're going on the basis that in history, that is always the case. You get a Democratic president, then the Republicans take over in the House and the Senate. And yes, historically, that is true. But we're going through a time that has no precedence, historically speaking. We were never in this position before. We've got a former president, people in Congress, people in the Senate, under investigation for doing serious crimes in this country, almost to the level of treason. We've got people that are fighting very hard to not let this information out in these investigations, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you can't compare history to what's happening now, because we've never seen anything like this in history, ever. The Republicans have some big problems, because between now and 2022 and 2024, there's going to be a lot that comes out, and they're going to look very bad. And there are going to be people that are expelled from Congress because of their ties to the January 6th insurrection. It's not looking good for Republicans. And then you throw in COVID and their activity with COVID and they're killing off a large percentage of their base. Because the only people dying of COVID are the people that are unvaccinated. I know they're trying to tell you that more people that are vaccinated are dying. That's not true. That's absolute bullshit. They've lied since Donald Trump took over. They continue to lie to push forward their agenda. It's all bullshit. The people who are getting really sick and dying are the ones that are unvaccinated to the tune of about 99.6%. Yes, there are breakthrough cases. And there are some people that have been vaccinated that get sick and maybe even die. I don't think that's actually happened as yet, but it could. But these are different circumstances. They're small numbers of people. These are people that have underlying problems. They have other things that are making them sick. And even if it's a smaller effect with COVID, it may be too much. But it's nowhere near the comparison of the unvaccinated people dying. We're seeing it every day. There's like eight people 
in the media business that were raving Republicans that got COVID and talked shit about COVID and now they're dead. I don't know why people can't get a light bulb over their head and say, holy shit, that's not good. There's another story out there that you maybe haven't heard because they haven't talked about it a lot. But in Florida, in a county, it might be Broward County, might be I don't know which county it is, it might be in the Miami area, but there were 29 police officers in Florida that have died of COVID. Imagine that. 29 police officers that have died of COVID, all, of course, unvaccinated. And we know that Florida is a cesspool for the virus. We got Ron DeSantis, who is doing everything he can to kill off his people. He won't back down from it. He just keeps doubling down and making it more dangerous for people. I'll be honest with you. I like Florida. I know people in Florida. I could go see people in Florida. I ain't going to Florida. No goddamn way. I'm vaccinated, yes. But my biggest concern is being a breakthrough breakthrough, uh, uh, COVID patient and not even really getting sick. Maybe I don't have any symptoms at all. My fear is I come back home, I see my little granddaughter who I love very much, and I give it to her. Fuck no, I'm not doing that. I'm not taking any risk when it comes to my granddaughter or my grandson. Neither one of them are old enough to get the vaccination. So I'm not going to put them at risk. I mean, their parents are freaks about this. They're going to watch every step of the way, but they don't have to with my wife and I. Because that's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to cause that kind of problems. We don't want to get our grandchildren sick. So I'm not going to Florida. I'm not going to fucking Texas. Not going to Arkansas. Not going to New Orleans or Louisiana. Now, I love Louisiana. I love New Orleans. And, of course, they're now dealing down there with the uh, hurricane. Fortunately, the levees in Louisiana or in New Orleans held, so it didn't flood like it did with Katrina, but there's still a lot of devastation out there, still a lot of problems. It's going to be a long time before they're back to normal. And then you throw in all the COVID cases and all the people that were injured in the hurricane. Now there's no place to put them because they're filled with anti-vaxxer COVID patients. It's a fucking mess. These people that aren't vaccinated should relinquish the ICU hospital beds for the people that are truly sick that cared enough to get the uh, the vaccination. I don't know if it'll ever come to that, but we are seeing some interesting things. We now heard that Delta Airlines, great place to work, they get benefits, they get health care, but now they announced that those people that are unvaccinated are going to get a surcharge on their health care of $200 a month. And I wondered when this was going to come. It's going to spread far and wide. Everybody's going to be doing this. I mean, you think about it. You're an insurance company. Somebody goes in the hospital, you have to pay all the big bills. That's your job. You may not like it, but you've been taking the premiums. you got to do it. But now you got these clowns in here that could avoid it being in the hospital and going through all the treatments they go through by just taking the vaccination, but they choose not to. Do you really want to pay for those folks? Are you required to pay for those folks? I don't know. 
But you know that the insurance companies are going to start questioning that. They're going to have to. They don't want to keep paying out money for no good reason, especially when these idiots could have avoided it by simply getting the vaccination. Now, I was talking about the Republicans, and I was talking about those people in the House of Representatives particularly. The word out is is that the House Select Committee is, you know, investigating the insurrection on January 6th. They talked to the police officers. There's more hearings coming up. There have already been some behind-the-scenes hearings, too. But they have asked for all the documents from all the uh, agencies, FBI, DOJ, Department of Homeland Security. See, that's the thing. People think that the select committee is going to get these documents and such, and this will be the first time anybody's seeing them. It's not. These legal entities, law enforcement, has had them for some time, and they're looking at them, and that's how they're working on legal cases against these people. But now, it's going to go to Congress, and this will give us a chance to see what's going on. This is more about exposure when we're talking about the Select Committee in Congress. This is not about people going to jail. That's what the legal entities are dealing with. When it comes to Congress, it's about exposing what's going on with those people to the rest of the public. Now, the other thing they ask for was all the phone records, Um, all the phone records of everybody in and around the U.S. Capitol on January 6th during the insurrection. They're also asking for the phone records of members of Congress, particularly those members of Congress that were part of the Stop the Steal deal or the Big Lie deal. And those are people like Boebert, Gosar, Green, um, any number of them. There's a bunch of them. Matt Gates, those fucking clowns. Well, now this is becoming a reality. Congress is going to get those phone records. And this is going to expose some shit. You remember when Jim Jordan was being interviewed and somebody said, hey, did you talk to Donald Trump on the uh, insurrection day? He said, well, you know, I talk to Donald Trump all the time. You know, I don't, I'm not sure, maybe I could have. Yeah, maybe I talked to him once. Well, just recently he came out and said, yeah, actually I talked to him multiple times on January 6th. Now, why would he do that? Well, he did that because he knows these records are coming down and he wants to try to cushion the blow when he gets exposed for what he did. Unfortunately, it's not going to work for him because the fact is he did it and it's wrong and he's going to pay the price for it. But with all this going on, now we're seeing the Republicans starting to shit themselves. It's becoming a reality. And now they're scared. They're upset. We had Kevin McCarthy step up and basically threaten all the uh, telecommunications companies. Uh, You better not do that. And basically what he's saying to them is, well, when we get power back to Republicans, then we're going to take it out on you. Well, that's not a U.S. government comment. That's like the fucking mafia. And that's what the Republican Party essentially is, an organized crime entity. So he made that threat. 
But the other threat that I found even more interesting, (laughs) I saw a short clip. I can't watch Fox News. I can't watch Tucker Carlson. But I saw about a 20-second clip with Tucker Carlson interviewing Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene says, this is what, and this is a paraphrase. I can't give you an exact quote, but it's close. She says, well, if those telecommunication companies uh, comply with what they're being asked for from Congress, which you have to do, but if they comply with it, we're going to take you down. (laughs) I found that so hilarious. Marjorie Taylor Greene. The woman that they took every committee assignment away from. She has no power. She's doing nothing. She hasn't been in Congress very long. And she's telling the telecommunication business, the industry, that she's going to take them all down if they give the evidence that Congress is demanding. These people have to give the evidence. They don't have an option. And Marjorie Taylor Greene or Kevin McCarthy can't threaten them enough to get them to stop. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, again, we're talking about uh, an organized crime threat as opposed to some political negotiation. Now, Marjorie Taylor Greene's probably in the mix of this whole situation with the phone calls and, and the insurrection. So basically, these people are scared shitless. They know it's going to come out, and they know it's going to be the end of their careers. So all they have left to do is play the bully, make threats, and hope to God that people fold and they never have to see it. Well, forgive me for saying so, but when you're looking at Verizon and Apple and AT&T and T-Mobile and all these things, Do you think these people are really afraid of Kevin McCarthy or fucking Marjorie Taylor Greene? No. These are billion-dollar companies. They're not going to be coerced or threatened into doing fucking anything. And even if the Republican Party gets in power again, are they really going to do something to these people? No, because these people are putting money in their fucking pockets. Are they really going to burn the people that put food on their table, illegally or illegally? No, they aren't going to do shit. And these people, these big companies, no, they're not going to do shit. They're not going to fight with Congress about not providing these... um, this data, because why should they? I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, these guys get mad at them. They provide the data. The Pandora's box is open. Once it's open, all these clowns making threats are going to be gone because they're going to be exposed for what they are. So these telecom companies don't have anything to worry about. They're going to hand over the stuff just like they're supposed to. If they get subpoenaed, they're required to provide the information. And they will get subpoenaed if they haven't already. And they're going to turn it over. And frankly, telecom companies have never been shy about handing over information to the government when it's necessary. And they will do it in this case. And again, like I said before, it's not just about Congress getting this. This phone information has already been gotten by the Department of Justice or the FBI. It's already in the hands of law enforcement. So they're not going to avoid any kind of legal ramifications from this. But this is just about getting this information out and exposed to the public. 
So they're fighting um, a fruitless battle. It's already out. Now it's just a matter of we're going to hear it. Now they're scared, so they're going to try to bully these multi-billion dollar companies or trillion dollar companies, and it ain't going to work. They're scared. They're nervous. They're upset. They don't know what the fuck is going on, and they don't know what to do. You can see it on their faces when they're talking. When people like them get scared, they act like they're angry and indignant. But they're scared shitless, and they should be, because this stuff is going to be exposed, and they're going to be in for a world of hurt. It's not going to be good for them. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when that phone information does come out. We've got all other kinds of things we're waiting for. And we really need something to break here quickly. We're waiting for the indictment with Matt Gates. We're waiting for an indictment with Donald Trump or his family members and all that kind of stuff. And it's there. It's happening. I get a lot of people say, oh, it's never going to happen. Why didn't it happen instantaneously? Not going to happen instantaneously. That's not how the legal process works. But there's so much evidence and so much stuff going on. The the chessmen are going to start to fall. And I'm waiting for that first one. I'm hoping it's Matt Gates. But when the first one falls, it will come fast and furious. And that fall is going to be devastating for the Republicans. So as I said before, if they're counting on 2022 to take over the House and Senate, they maybe should take a closer look because they're going to have all kinds of problems with their reputation, their integrity, their viability by the time 2022 comes along. All right, we'll wrap things up here. We'll talk again real soon on the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget, uh, you can send me an email at the Rational Boomer, uh, at rationalboomer at gmail.com, or you can send it to me uh, via voicemail if you go to anchor.fm and look up um, Rational Boomer. And I'm happy to hear your questions, comments, complaints, whatever you got. So we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.